Hey everyone, you are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Ken, where our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis 21 this morning. Genesis 21. And we're nearing uh, both the middle of Genesis as well as um, nearing the end of Abraham's life. As we've spent uh, so many weeks walking through uh, walking through these texts. And uh, as we step into this, it comes at an appropriate time that uh, we pause and recognize in a moment that the Lord is not only faithful, but more specifically, uh, in the midst of all that we face, the Lord provides doesn't he? <laughs> and ultimately, if I, I, I can honestly sum up today's message in this statement. Take heart. The Lord will provide. Let's pray. I'll see you next Sunday. All right. But there's so much more here. And it would be a disservice to you to jump over this. Because how many of you today, honestly honestly need the reassurance that the Lord provides. How many, how many, yeah. I think if we're honest, every one of us longs for that, right? Desires that. And what we see really in the beginning of this is the Lord fulfilling a promise from long before it comes to be. And then we see God uh, continue to be faithful to fulfill his promises in other ways. Uh, you're going to see multiple levels of God's provision to multiple people. And so let's step into scripture and let's see this. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 21, it says, The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised and Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Now, one of the first things I want you to recognize here is God (laughs) has shown great grace in fulfilling his promises to his people. And we see that most evidently in the fact that the Lord provides 
a son. And if you look, I sought to emphasize these in the first few verses. Um, The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. The Lord did as he had promised. At the time which God had spoken to him. There's a, there's a common theme here. The, the emphasis simply being that mankind was not in control of these factors. God was. And he is faithful to his promises. And if you've missed that from Genesis 1 to Genesis 21, you need to go back and reread these chapters. Because over and over and over again, we are reminded through these, this faithful narrative that God is faithful. And if we believe that he's the same, he's still faithful. Amen? The Lord provides a son. Isaac literally means laughter. It's what the name Isaac means. And it begins at a high point here. And just as God had promised, just as God had promised, he fulfills this and brings, as Sarah put it, God has made laughter for me. Literally a fulfillment of that which he had spoken before. Now, sadly, this time of laughter is short-lived because in the very next section of chapter 21, we see family tensions crop up again. And just to summarize, for those of you who may not have been with us, there's this great family tension that has uh, existed ever since Sarah decided to take matters into her own hands and gave her servant Hagar to Abraham and said, here, let's do it this way because uh, it's not happening our way. The problem still remaining that we're not paying attention to what God's way is. And so there's this tension then and now this tension crops back up because verse 8 it says the child grew and was weaned. And uh, Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. So Isaac now, uh, per historical record, would be a t- a kind of a toddler. That was the general age they were weaned. And verse 9, Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, laughing. Now, it's important to note here, um, the the word laughing here, uh, the, the NIV translates mocking, and it's probably the best use of that in this context. It wasn't an innocent, um, like, I'm playing with my half-brother and we're having fun. And that is... Uh, logically understood because her response in verse 10 is very similar to the response that happened previously where uh, Sarah in her uh, frustration and anger says, um, Abraham cast out this slave woman with her son for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of. Of his son. Now it's it's really interesting um, to further emphasize uh, that this uh, is best translated as mocking. When Ishmael here is laughing at Isaac, is uh, Paul's cross a reference to this in Galatians chapter four, 
where in Galatians 4, Paul says, Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise, but just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit. So also it is now. So Paul makes this distinction uh, between that which was born out of the fleshly desire of uh, Abram and Sarai and uh, that which was born out of the Spirit of God intentionally saying, this is my plan for you. Further emphasizes this. But in the midst of all of this, what happens next, in the midst of Abraham's discontentedness, uh, displeasedness with Sarah's attitude about this, recognizing, and we should appreciate here, Abraham's response where he goes, Ishmael's my son. But the Lord gives an assurance in verse 12, which says, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of Hagar, your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. So he affirms the promise he's made from the beginning. But then in verse 13, we see the mercy and grace and the faithfulness of God. And he says, I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also because he is your offspring. Now recognize here, this is not something God has to do. But we see, we get a glimpse of the character of God right in the midst of this narrative. Where God says, you know what, Abraham? You kind of messed up back here. But God doesn't hold that over him. Rather, God continues to fulfill his promise exactly as he purposed it. And he fulfills uh, really what we see as a longing of Abraham's heart in his son Ishmael. Which God has said he's going to bring to fulfillment. Now, as the narrative unfolds and Hagar and Ishmael are out kind of wandering, uh, they run out of water. And they cry out to the Lord. And in verse 17, look at this in verse 21 or chapter 21, verse 17, they cry out to the Lord. Hagar is crying out to the Lord. And it says, and God heard the voice of the boy and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. He reaffirms the promise. Then verse 19, God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with him. So uh, this is the second provision we see from the Lord that the Lord literally provides a well of salvation. Now, don't misunderstand me when just because we use the word salvation here, I'm not saying that he provides a well where if you drink of it, all of a sudden you become right with the Lord. This is not what I'm talking about. But literally a physical provision that saves the life of Hagar and Ishmael. And therefore, we see once again the faithfulness of God, not only to provide in this tangible way, but His faithfulness to fulfill that which He's promised. He promised Abraham, I'm going to make a nation of Ishmael. And He reminded Hagar of this very same truth. The Lord will provide. And the Lord will fulfill his promises. God's provision 
in our lives will always be on track to fulfill His promises. Now that really we don't always like because if we're honest, we may not like the reality that Hagar and Ishmael are cast out and wander in the desert. And yet we have to understand that if God is sovereign... And this is how he goes about fulfilling his promises and providing in that setting. Then God's way is best. And that should create a bit of tension in us. Because the reality is, God, I don't want to have to wander. I don't want to have to walk through difficulty. And yet, as you're going to see further, that plays a huge role in God forming in us the people to fulfill His promises. Now, I want to pan back a moment and think about where Abraham began in this journey, clear back in Genesis chapter 12. Because we've seen a lot of life in Abraham, haven't we? We've seen him mess up quite a bit. This is one of the benefits of going through these narratives of Scripture uh, in the Old Testament is that we get a glimpse of who Abraham is. And we see this further. I I challenge you to read the rest of chapter 21 as he uh, makes a a treaty with Abimelech, the very same guy he was scared of and caused him to fall back into old patterns that we talked about last week. And Abraham shows a boldness here. And in fact, if you glance just real quickly at um, verse 22 of chapter 21, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. So even these guys who we have no indication are following the Lord, they recognize something in Abraham that is powerful and they go, God is with this man. Now, if we look back across Abraham's life, there are times when we might question, Abraham, um, who are you trusting in this moment? And some examples of that, where we've seen him grow, when told to cast out Hagar and her son back in uh, Genesis 16, um, Abraham actually tells Sarah, uh, you do it for what you want. I don't care. And now, fast forward to chapter 21, and Abraham is distraught. Uh, he's displeased with how Sarah is reacting to her story. That's called growth. Okay, everyone say growth. Now, there's change there that happens in Abraham's attitude. One is very passive and going, I don't care. You do with her whatever you want. The next is very active. Like, Lord, I, I, I'm, I'm not okay with this. Abraham finds comfort in the Lord's promises and... His proven faithfulness over time. We still don't see Abraham wavering in this chapter. He's not taking matters into his own hands here. Um, Abraham's grown from one who feared Abimelech at Gerar to one who demonstrates that the Lord is with him here in verse 22 of chapter 21. Abraham has grown a lot. Now, a note of application here. Um, We often want the results without putting forth any of the work. Trust me, if I could sit on my couch and have the same results as going to the gym, I would do it. How many of you would join me? Yeah, every one of you would, okay? (laughs) But it's not going to happen. 
We may, we may like where we see Abraham end up, but if we look at his track record, my goodness. I'd rather not leave everything I know. That's what happened in Genesis 12. I'd rather not wander in the lands of godless people. I'd rather not face the wickedness of the world. I'd rather not face my greatest fears and anxieties, the tensions in my home. And yet we see God in the details, not only to bring about what he has promised, but to mold and shape us along the way. Praise God for that. Now, this brings us to chapter 22, which, in my opinion, is one of the more thrilling narratives of Scripture, where we get a glimpse at just how far Abraham's faith has come, and we once again see the faithfulness of God to provide, more specifically, that the Lord provides a sacrifice. Let's look at verse 1 of chapter 22. It says, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. What? Are you kidding me? This should be one of those passages in scripture where we give great pause. Now, I know if, if you've grown up in church, you've grown up hearing this story. It's been taught in Sunday school class. But uh, may I challenge you to read scripture with fresh eyes and look at it and think seriously about the implications of this? God asked you to do what? I find it um, slightly entertaining that nowhere in here do we see that Abraham took this information to his wife. Now, I'm not saying he didn't. All I'm saying is it doesn't say. Okay? And he rose early in the morning. Saddled the donkey and took two of his young men. Okay? But notice something here. Notice what the text says about how Abraham responded to this command. We do not see him waver once in his obedience to the Lord. We not only see Abraham walk in obedience in these first few verses, but also in faith. Look at verse 4 with me. It says, On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. It's really important to note that. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb 
for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. Now, in the midst of this final leg of the journey, Isaac has picked up on something that is missing in their journey. Rising early for the long journey? Common. Wood packed for the sacrifice? Common. No sacrifice for the sacrifice? Not so common. And he asks the question, Father, where is the sacrifice? Abraham, without wavering, walks in obedience to God. What does he say? God will provide for himself the sacrifice. The location is reached. The altar is built. Isaac is bound. And the knife is drawn. Will God really allow Abraham to do this? Will Abraham really follow through? It leaves you in a bit of suspense, doesn't it? But notice something else. Isaac seems to completely trust his father in this. It's not hard to suppose, church family, that Isaac would be the winner of any tussle against his century-old father. It's not hard to assume that. Yet, there is no record of a scuffle. There is no record of divine intervention to aid in Isaac ending up on the altar. Rather, just as Jesus trusted his heavenly father and what must be done, Isaac trusted his. Powerful to think about that. All at once, God intervenes. Look at verse 11. The angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And I'm thinking in that moment, Abraham must have like his heart must have beat a little slower. Right. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Now, another way of reading the verse 14, and some of your translations may have this, is um, that the Lord will see. And that the, on the mount of the Lord, that um, he shall be seen. Uh, the two parallel in the sense that where God is seen, God provides. The two are inseparable. Praise God for that. But notice something else in this text. Verse 12. It says, Now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. God in his omniscience already knew this, and yet once again God gives us a window into his divine judgment. How is it that somebody, uh, that someone reveals that they do indeed fear God? What does that look like? What does it look like for someone to fear the Lord? It's it's one word. Obedience. 
Everyone say obedience. <laughs> How is it that God brings this about in someone's life? Well, I can tell you what the starting point is, and it's this. The Lord has provided us a savior. The Lord will provide doesn't end back here in Genesis, but is the narrative throughout the whole text and is most visibly seen in the fact that God has provided Jesus as the perfect sacrifice on your behalf. So that in Christ you have access to the Father. And then the words of Scripture communicate this. Jesus said you need to be born again. Scripture says that in Christ you're transformed, you're made new, you're a new creation. That's the starting point. But understand this, God is not solely concerned about bringing His promises to fulfillment. He is also constantly molding and shaping His people for His purposes. Listen to this. God never brings us to Himself to leave us the way we are. God never brings us to Himself to leave us the way we are. God could accomplish anything He wanted without us. Yet over and over again we see Him choosing these small, uneducated, flaky people. And then something happens. He calls them out of where they are and through their faith in the promises of God, He transforms them and uses them for His glory. But His transforming work doesn't stop there. Just as it did not stop in Abraham's life in Genesis 12 when God first called Abraham. And this is where we can parallel this with this passage, which if we're honest, we really don't like. Where it says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. For the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or perseverance. And get this, let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Summary, God brings hardship into our lives that we may faithfully serve Him better than we can today. We see this in Abraham's life. We see this in the major heroes of the faith all throughout Scripture. But we don't live as if this is true. In fact, you could go to many places today on a similar Sunday and you would find that people would share with you something along the lines of if you're really uh, just trusting in the Lord more and more, then life's going to be good. And it's going to be easy and it's going to be simple. It's not true. Godly people face hardship and suffering and anguish and grief. And God uses it for His glory. So I want to ask you, as we think about these things, in what is your faith? Do you believe the Lord will provide? It may be easy for us to sit in church 
and say, I trust the Lord. I have faith in the Lord. The Lord's plan is best. But what happens when walking in obedience to the Lord means putting something else on the altar? What happens when God leads us to put that which we have been longing for, praying for, hoping for most on the chopping block for his purposes? What then? Who or what are our Isaacs that God is calling us to place on the altar before him? As a sign of unconditional trust that he and he alone is the one who provides. Later on in scripture, scripture actually declares that Abraham believed that God could even raise Isaac from the dead. Abraham was so convinced God would fulfill his promises that he knew all I have to do is walk in obedience. And if God calls me to do this, he's going to make a way. God has said, Isaac will be a great nation. I have no reason to doubt his promises, so I'm going to walk in obedience. Here's the problem. You and I struggle to have that kind of confidence in the promises of the Lord. Therefore, we do not walk in faith, but we walk on eggshells. Okay, God, I'm going to trust you. No, you're not. You're not. I'm not. not. This is all of us, church family. Who or what is your faith in? Honestly. Is it finances? Is it people? Is it your career? What is it? The worship team is going to come. And as they do, I want to read this quote to you. And it comes out of, it's an excerpt out of a a book I've been using in tangent with my studies. And it makes this statement. We grow in faith as we believe the bare word of God. The process is this. God comes to us with his word. We are challenged to believe. When we believe his word, he tests us by stretching our faith so it can grow to greater dimensions than before. There are always valleys next to the hilltops of faith. There are ups and downs, but God grows our faith incrementally so that we are enabled to give our Isaacs to God. Where has the Lord called you to obedience? What has the Lord called you to give up? What keeps you from living in fear of the Lord? Regardless of what stands in your way, can I just encourage you to let it go? To follow the Lord is far better. Let me say that again. To follow the Lord is far better than anything you would have here. You may ask, how will I get by? I want to know how the Lord will provide. That's me. All right. I like to control it. God, just show me. Give me a picture. I'm a visual person. Let me see it. (laughs) To that, may you be reminded that the Lord has already provided in Jesus. He has already provided for your greatest need. And in the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, 
The Lord takes care of the birds of the field and the flowers of the air. Are you not of more value than they? If you believe this all to be true, take heart. The Lord will provide. Amen? Would you stand with me? We're going to pray and then we're going to sing this song, Build My Life. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your patience with us. Lord, your long suffering with us. God, we confess we are people prone to walk in disobedience. We're prone to doubt how you will provide a way where there seems to be no way. And yet, Lord, we believe and affirm that you are a God who fulfills your promises according to your word and that you will be faithful even when we can't see it. Lord, we commit this to you. Motivate us. Give us boldness by your spirit in light of these truths. In Jesus' name, amen.